0: Happy new, year. Happy new Year. Can you believe it's here? Are we all ready for the new year? Do we really have a choice? All right, it's here whether we like it or not. Welcome to Shepherd's Gate. My name's Tim, and I get the incredible privilege of being the lead pastor here, a position I've been in for a little over a year and a half. And if you're a guest, once again, thanks so much for being here. Those of you that are watching live stream, or maybe you're going to catch the message later on in the week, thanks for giving us part of your time and day. And uh, this really, truly is an incredible church, and God has done so much in and through the people of this church, the history that we have, and we know as we start a new year that God has even more in store for our future. God has done a lot of incredible things in and through this church in the past, and we know he has even more in store for our future. Uh, do we believe that? Like, honestly, do we believe that to be true? I hope so. I hope so for you as an individual. I hope for your family and especially for this church. And uh, uh, we're just so excited uh, to start this brand new sermon series. And it's not just a brand new sermon series, but it's also going to be our theme for the entire year, for all of 2019. And, uh, and, and uh, since I've taken uh, this role and kind of stepped into this leadership position as lead pastor, uh, the, the last two years that, I, that I've been doing this, we've kind of just had these goals behind the scenes. We've told the staff, we've emphasized it with the staff, we've kind of reiterated it with the staff, and then I would tell the congregation in November, hey, this is, just so you know, this was the target that we were aiming for throughout the year. And we said, this year, we're going to change it up. This year, we're just going to tell the congregation right out of the gate from the first Sunday to let you guys know what it is that we just believe God is calling us to do this year. And so if you've been with us the last couple of years, in 2017, really our focus was trying to figure out how to turn attenders into family members. We knew that we had a lot of people that were coming to Shepherd's Gate, but they just weren't necessarily plugged in and engaged. And this place has always been a church that's had a high commitment, a place that, that really values not just coming here on Sunday morning, but being in small groups and serving and coming together in community. And so we tried to figure out all these different ways to bring our church together. And then this last year, we said, you know, now that the family's kind of been brought together, now it's time for us to step up and to grow up. And that's not a negative thing, that actually comes from Ephesians 4 where it says we were to grow up into everything, into Christ who is the head of the church. And so this is a positive thing that we grow together and so we had this emphasis on Bible studies and we had this emphasis on digging deep into the word of God. And so these are kind of like stages, you know, they're kind of like steps. So step one, step two. And so now as we launch into 2019, we believe that God has laid on our church and the leadership of this church because we did this together, that this year our focus would be owning your Influence, and so what does that mean? And as you see these three words, own your influence. How does that make you feel? Do you own your influence? Do you even believe that you have influence? Do you believe you have influence? Do you know the influence that you have? Some of you, it's obvious, right? You're 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 like a leader. God's gifted you. Maybe you own your own company. You run your own organization. You're in leadership at your place of work, you love leading your family, whatever that is. In fact, you wake up every day and you are just excited to motivate and to grab a hold of people and to get them to move somewhere in a direction together. And so for you, this is obvious. But if we're honest, maybe there's some of you in here and you're like, I don't know if I'm really an influencer. I don't know if I'm motivated. And you use that word leader and not everyone's a leader, Tim. Some of us have to be followers because if all of us were leaders, then no one would ever do anything, right? Everyone would just be trying to do their own thing. It's kind of interesting, even as you look now, as trends are beginning uh, to move, some of you, you might be receiving these trainings in your organizations, but as this next generation is starting to enter the workforce, as the millennials are starting to, you know, take jobs and stuff like that, what they realize is that even in leadership positions, it's not even so much about positional leadership or a title. In fact, uh, one guy, John Maxwell, he's, he's like pretty much the number one leadership guru in the U.S., he said, this leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts anymore. Did you know that? It's about one life influencing another. So it's not about the letters or the titles you have in front of your name or behind your name or, you know, whatever, you know, title your organization may give you. It's really about your ability to influence others. And again, you might be saying, well, I'm not a leader, and I'm not in management or I'm not, you know, I'm not a supervisor, I'm an employee. But here's what I want to help you with today. I believe every single one of us has influence. In fact, every person you come in contact with throughout your day, you are impacting somebody. When you go to the store and you realize that you are, it's not just all about you and you actually take the time to open a door for somebody, that's influencing somebody. Did you know that? And by the way that they respond to you, if they respond positively to you, they've influenced you. If they respond negatively to you, they've also influenced you because you're like, man, what a jerk. I just opened this door for this person. <laughs> why? Are they, you know what I mean? And you're dwelling on it. Like, why, why did this even take place? Those of you that are parents or grandparents, you bring a child into the room. Those of you that have employees, you bring the employee into the room. What happens if you say something positive to that child or that employee? You've influenced them. Those of you that are married, right, what happens if you say something negative to your spouse or you say something negative to a coworker? You have had an impact on that person's life. See, each and every day, all throughout the day, we all have opportunities to influence people and we get this opportunity to influence them for the good or for the bad. And you're here today, so you're not at home, so some point today, all throughout today, even getting into here, you've already been influenced and you've already influenced the people around you. And if you're still wondering, hey man, I don't know. I don't know if I really buy this. Just think about this. This is what Tim Elmore, Tim Elmore said. He said, Site, uh, Sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individual will influence 10,000 others in an average lifetime. Think about that. The most introverted person on the planet will have an immense amount of influence. So let me ask it this way. What role do you play in your family? What is it that God has called you to do? Are you a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a cousin? Kids, you're in here today, right? Kids, where are you at? You still with me? Think about the influence that you have. What about the role you play in your school or your place of work? Kids, when it comes to how you treat other kids in the school, do you join in on picking on the other kids in the school? Or do you stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves? How do you treat your teachers at school, kids? (laughs) They're quiet, just they're quiet, just like you guys, right? How do we treat our coworkers? What about the role we play in our community? How is it that we interact with our neighbors and the people that we run into all day long? And you know, you could even add church into this, right? Into the community, because here we are—a community of believers that are gathered together. Every one of us has influence. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus and maybe you're here this morning and, you know, you're not sure if you follow Jesus. Maybe you're just checking us out to see what this is all about. This is what we come back to. This is our foundation. This is the foundation that we lay is everything that we have and everything that we are comes from God. And I think no better time than as we start this new year on this first Sunday of the year that we go back to that basic, that we be reminded of that reality and that fact. In fact, throughout the whole Bible, it reminds us over and over and over again that really everything that we have and everything that we are is from God. And here's just a couple of those scriptures this morning. Genesis 1, the first book of the Bible, right out of the gate, chapter 1, God said, Let us make mankind in our image. We are made in the image of God. We are the superior creation above all else. Nothing is made like us. In our likeness, God said, so that we may, what? We're the last two words. Rule over. Rule over that we may have influence on this earth. Psalm 24, 1. Here, it just, this is just, it just puts it together in one sentence. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Anybody not living in the world, right? When someone actually gets to Mars, I don't know what they're going to do, right? Because this is all those who live on the world. He has earth and world in there, The everything in it. And I purposely picked this last scripture because I think for us, especially in the time and age that we live in and in the culture that we live in, material possessions are very important to us. Our 401ks and our stocks are very important to us. Some of you obsessively watch the stock market, right? you got apps on your phone and the thing beeps all the time. Like we we're just so drawn in to what we have in our hands And this is what God reminds us of. Again, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember this, church, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So I'm gonna say it again. Everything that you have and everything that you are comes from God. And if you want a real succinct way to say this, it's this, we come from God, we're sustained by God, because he promises to take care of us and our family, and maybe it's not always the way that we want, maybe you know, there's, there's these things that we think that we need, but God promises to always take care of our, of our wants, and ultimately we will return to God, amen? And that's an eternal perspective that so often is hard for us to keep ahead and for us to constantly think about, but that is the truth for you and for me. And so we recognize that the influence that we have First of all, it comes from God, and that's why the tagline of this whole sermon series is from God to us, to others. And so today, and all throughout this month as we go through this sermon series, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. It's a fascinating book. Uh, it's, a, it's written by a guy named Paul, and it was during a time when, honestly, there was a lot going on in Corinth. There was all these different cultures that had been mixed together. In fact, uh, it, it used to be a different culture. It used to be one culture in the Romans, which was what Romans did. They went in and they decimated the place. And then Caesar, Julius Caesar actually rebuilt it. He actually moved people in there and then a huge Jewish settlement came in. And so all of these different people from all of these different religions are now settled in this place called Corinth. And Paul, who's the guy that that wrote the letter, he's on his second missionary journey. And 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians because this is actually his second letter that he writes to the Corinthians. We just don't have 1 Corinthians. And so he writes this letter to this group of people that are in this insane culture with all of these different religions and all of these different beliefs and even languages. And so if you were walking and I were walking, if we were in modern-day Corinth and we were walking down the street, you would see markets, markets, You would see a thriving economy. I mean, uh, things were just going so well at this time. It was a big tourist destination. And so there was just a lot of really positive things taking place. And it wouldn't have been unusual to walk by temples where people were going in and they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. And then there's this church, There's this group of Christians, which back then was a negative term. It was a derogatory term. Poor Christians, who oftentimes their businesses were were neglected. People wouldn't even buy from them because they were Christians. And they don't even have their own building. They don't have their church building like we do. They are actually meeting in a house. They were a house church. And here Paul gets this report four years later, after he'd already planned it, he's on his third missionary journey, that there's some issues in the church And what we're going to do throughout this month and today as we begin this series, we're going to look at the progress that Paul goes through and the the process that he goes through with the Corinthian church. And so I want to invite you to grab one of your chair Bibles uh, that are in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're right underneath your seats. If you need a Bible, uh, you can certainly take one of these home with you today. So if you need a Bible, one of the best gifts that we could give you is a Bible. Make sure you take one. If you have your own Bible, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul, it's on page... What is it, 952? I think it's, all right. 952, and we're gonna go through the first chapter of 1 Corinthians together. So 952, 1 Corinthians chapter one. It says this, Paul, that's how we know he wrote the letter, called by the will of God, right? So this is God's will that he do this. To be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together. I want to stop right there. I want you to see this. There's an individual call on Paul's life, just like there's an individual call on your life and my life, and there is also a call to be together as his church. God called you to be part of this local congregation. God calls people into community together. You're not here by accident. God wants you part of this church, and so you're called to be saints together. Nobody goes through this thing alone with all those who in every place, right, so all the other churches that are, are, you know, uh, joined together in our community, all in the United States, all over the world, call upon the. Name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Right? We share God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off with this blessing. And then he says this in verse 4 I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. God's grace, his amazing grace, grace that we can't even fathom. Verse five, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to look at these words. These are words of encouragement for us today, who will sustain you to the end. God's promise to you guiltless in the day of our lord Jesus Christ God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship there there it is again of his son Jesus Christ our lord And I love this because what is Paul doing in in this first kind of segment of Scripture, right? He's setting this up. He's reminding them of who they are in Christ. And here what's happened is, unfortunately, is that the culture has had such a negative impact on the church. And they probably feel outnumbered. They probably feel overwhelmed. Here they are. They're just this little church plant, right? They're meeting in a home and they're, they're overwhelmed by everything else going on. And some of the outward influences, some of the cultural influences have now Uh, filtrated or gotten into the church and Paul is having to deal with some of the sins that have seeped into this church. But I love the fact that he starts with the gospel. He starts by reminding them of who they are in Christ. And I think that's a good start for us on this new year, to be reminded of who we are in Christ, to be reminded of what God has already done for us, to be reminded that God is faithful even when we're not faithful. That God is good even when we're not good. When we look back at 2018 and we look at some of the things that we got ourselves in and the sins that, that, that we allowed to be entangled in our lives and the things that, you know, that, mis- that we misstepped, that we should have tried to avoid, but yet somehow God in his grace and his mercy once again carried us through 2018. And here's his promise for you and for me. He's going to carry us through 2019, And no matter what we face, no matter what obstacles come, no matter what challenges come our way, we are children of God. He is faithful. He is just. He will carry it out unto completion until the day that we see him face to face. So church, be encouraged this morning. Your relationship with God and the love that he has for you, that he would send his one and only son to die for you and for me, that we could be with him forever. That's good news for you and for me. And what's interesting is, as Paul does this, you can kind of see the sandwich technique. Those of you that are counselors or parents or maybe you're a supervisor at your work, you know what the sandwich technique is, right? You always start with the positive, then you, work into, then you, then you move into the areas of concern that you need to address, right? And then how do you always end? Positive, right? You could almost say gospel, law, gospel, Right? Start with the positive. You're doing a great job. Here are the things that we think you're doing really well. Here are some concerns that we have and here's some things that we think that maybe you could do to improve and then we're going to end with the gospel. You're going to see this pattern. It's really cool. Because now in verse 10, this is what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, right? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there would be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Imagine that. Here's he is, the church planner, right? He hasn't been there in four years, and he's getting a report. Later on, you find out he gets a letter from somebody else in the church, and he gets this report that there is quarrelling among you. Aren't you so glad that we don't deal with this at Shepherd's Gate?) <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for the Church of Corinth, you know, that they even, I mean, first chapter, out of the gate, he's got to deal with Corinth. I mean, certainly over the years here at Shepherd's Gate, no one has ever talked bad about somebody else here at Shepherd's Gate, right? No one has ever talked bad about decisions that leadership has made, right? No one has ever maybe just gotten their nose out of joint and been upset with everybody. So we don't even need to dwell on this, do we? Right? But here he is, he's getting this report that there's quarreling among them And he goes on this kind of explanation of what's taken place and since he hasn't been there for four years, people are actually taking sides in the church and they're taking sides on doctrinal issues and they're taking sides and they're saying, well, this person, I I follow Paul. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow this leader. Well, I agree with with, we should do it this way and not this way and we should do church this way and not this way and I don't know why we're making these changes and all this stuff's going on. And it's really cool the way that Paul writes this next section because he asks rhetorical questions and he also asks sarcastic questions. You're like, sarcasm? There's no sarcasm in the Bible. You were about to read sarcasm in the Bible, right? That's exactly what he does. He's saying, this person says, I follow this person. This person says, I follow this person. Is Christ divided? Paul even says, was Paul crucified for you? I mean, that's a sarcastic statement. They knew that Jesus had died for them, not Paul. And he goes on this thing about baptism and that he's glad that he really, did. he's not even sure, he doesn't even remember who he baptized, but he's glad that he didn't baptize a bunch of them so that they couldn't use that as leverage over other people in the church. So people couldn't one-up each other in a community of believers. But in verse 17 it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power." Well, why is he saying this? And he says that if you look in, in the beginning of chapter 2, he, he, he goes back and he talks about this again, about it he doesn't come with wise and persuasive words. It's because at this time, people were so fixated on public speakers and people's ability to, to speak and to move crowds. And so this is how some of the, the stuff kind of infiltrated it into the church. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want you to know something that for the next five weeks as we're on this series, this isn't going to be TED Talks, all right? We're not trying to do like self-help Christianity here at Shepherd's Gate. I'm not going to give you the five or seven things you need to do to make your life better, right? Sometimes people will say this phrase to other Christians. They'll say, well, God helps those who help themselves. Anyone heard that? Guess what? It ain't in the Bible. It's not. Don't believe that lie. If somebody says that to you, rebuke them. In love, but rebuke them, all right? God helped you when you couldn't help yourself. You were dead in your sins. Romans tells us this. You were dead in your sins. You were a corpse. God had to come to you and rescue you and put his son Jesus on the cross for you and die and rise again that you and I could have life. He's the one that gave you faith. He's the one that came to you and put his spirit inside of you and awoken that within you. It's God that moves, and that's what Paul is saying. It's not about any, uh, whether this person can preach or that person can preach, or even me as the apostle who planted this church being some elegant speaker. It's all about the power of God, and the power of God begins and he ends with the cross of Christ. This is where it is for us, church. And that's what we need to be reminded of each and every time we gather. And then look at what it says in verse 26. It says this for consider your calling. Or how about own your influence, church. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. This is going to hurt just so you know, these next couple of sentences. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? Thanks, Paul. But God chose what is foolish including us, in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why did he do that? Why did he do it? Here's your answer. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And I love that. It's a good reminder for us because, again, we get so fixated on thinking that we've created these worlds and we've created these financial securities and we've created these, you know, just all of these things for ourselves and look at what good job that we did and look at, you know, look at all the cool things that we did. And really the, the reality is, is that everything that we have, everything we are comes from God and everything that we do for good is because God allows us to do the good. And one step further for, for this whole thing is this, is that God is the one who gets all the praise and all the glory And all the honor for what he does in and through his broken, messed up people. Amen? Amen. And that includes you and me. Then it also includes us as a church. As we look back on 2018, as we look at all the things that this church went through and all the incredible ministry that we were able to do, all the things that we were able to do for the community, God gets all the praise and glory for working through his church and as we head into 2019, whatever it is that God would lay on our heart, whatever our partnerships would be, however we would live our lives and that maybe other people would come to know Jesus, maybe those family members that you've been praying for a long time, maybe this is their year. Maybe this is just the year that you're gonna start being in church faithfully. But guess what? All of those things are not a result of anything else other than God working in and through you. And again, he gets all the credit. He gets all the glory, honor, and praise. It is him that is working through us that no human being may boast in the presence of God because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Look at what it says, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness that we can't do on our own, sanctification that we can't do on our own, and redemption that we can't do on our own, so that as it is written, let, no, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's what he would call us to do. So today on this first day, on this first Sunday, that's what we're asking you to do. To recognize the influence that God has given you. Everything you have, everything you are comes from God. And then to look at a church like this, which was the most, un- let me tell you, you're going to find this out as we go through this book, the most unlikely people on the planet to be used by God. And maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, man, I feel like the most unlikely person. I don't know if I'm a good dad or a good mom. I don't know if I'm a good employer or employee. I don't know if I've done the things that I'm supposed to do. Guess what? I have those feelings too. So I look back in 2018. I think to myself, man, was I a good enough husband? Was I a good enough father? Was I a good enough friend to those around me? Did I offend or hurt people? Did I say things that I shouldn't? Did I talk behind people's back? Did I do things that God would just kind of like go, man, Tim, come on. Am I a good lead pastor? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And you know, you, you get people around you, you try to make the best decisions, but did you make the best decision? And so you make adjustments and you try to do this and that. But again, it's always brought back to the grace of God and the mercy of God and the fact that each and every time we are a child of God. I mean, I love, we could sing that song every Sunday, I wouldn't care. We are a child of God, first and foremost and we come under his authority, we come under his uh, wisdom and knowledge, and we rest in who we are in Christ. And now as we have that, that becomes our foundation to then be able to go and to be the people that he's called us to be. So this is what I want you to do this morning. I want you to get your hands out like this. and I want you to look down at your hands, okay? Kids, you can do this too. I just want you to think to yourself as you're looking at your hands, everything that you have, everything that you are comes from God. It's already his. And in in a symbol of just symbolic gesture of saying, God, I, I humble myself before you. I come underneath your authority. Is if we wouldn't just hand that over to God. It's already his, but we're just gonna say, God, we recognize that it's yours. And so if you would just move your hands forward like you're giving it to God like this. Then I want you to look at your hands again. And I want you to think about the influence that you do have. The influence that God has given you. And I know your heart's desire is my heart's desire is to do everything that we can to live our lives worthy in a manner of the calling of Christ that he's placed in us as husbands, as fathers, as brothers, as sisters, as students, as friends, whatever it is. God, this incredible influence. As we begin this year, God, we want to do it in view of who you are and what you have called us to do and to live that life in the manner that you call us to live. So God, help us to do that today. Amen? Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion here at Shepherd's Gate where we're going to place (laughs) communion into your hand, the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and again, it's a gift for us. It's a reminder of what God has done for us to strengthen us in our faith. And if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, our communion, uh, our communion um, statement is on the screens here. If, if you have any questions, make sure you talk to one of us. But our practice here is to come before our God, to confess our sins to him, to turn again over those things to him so that he would, might fill us with his grace and his mercy. So I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes one more time this morning, church. And Heavenly Father, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we come before you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind the things that we've allowed to come between you and us. Maybe it's the thought that we're still running the show. Maybe it's the times when we've let down the people in our lives that we didn't want to let down or even maybe we did it and God, we know that we need to confess that to you. So for the next moment, God, we confess our sins to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have heard our confession and because of who Jesus Christ is and because of what he has done for us on the cross, that you forgive us of all of our sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.